you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb, and then smart again. I'm Helen Hong, and now from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Helen Hong. Helen, how are you? What is going on in your exciting life of traveling and making comedy? I'm planning a Christmas vacation with the Hongs. Oh, where do the Hongs go? We're all going to Boca Raton, Florida, because I have a gig there. <laughs> <laughs> and I have never been to Boca Raton. None, nobody in my family has ever been to Boca Raton. And I was like, Hongs, let's Boca Raton this year. That's lovely. Yeah. So your family is supportive of you. They're supportive of a free trip. <laughs> now I get you. <laughs> All right. Well, today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. She is a director of the Pasadena Humane Society and a writer whose first children's book, Piggy and Pug, is available now. It's Ann Wheaton. Ann Wheaton. Hi, Ann. Hello, Ann Wheaton. Hello, hello. Uh, you wrote a book. I did. Tell us about this adorable book called Piggy and Pug. It's based off of um, experience that I had when I was a kid uh, with an orange tabby cat that followed me home. No. Yes, when I was five, because apparently in the 70s it was a safer time and you could walk home by yourself. Um, anyway, we found out that people had moved away and left him, so I got to keep him. And it was inspiration for just teaching kids about animal empathy and pet owning responsibility and like friendship and family and all that stuff. Wait, was this cat named? Named Piggy or Pug? No. Neither. So, this is what's funny. So the cat stayed the night. Like, my mom would let me put food and water out for him, but we thought he belonged to somebody, so she wouldn't let me bring him in. So my mom went and asked in the neighborhood, and we found out that the people had moved away and left him. So she came home and told me, we can go ahead and keep him. I was watching Land of the Lost, and in that episode, there is a baby dinosaur that was basically a stray. He was abandoned by his family, and that dinosaur's name was Dopey, so I named my cat Dopey. And I was like, the adventures of Piggy and Dopey did not really work, so the characters are just named Piggy and Pug because I had a friend in sixth grade who named all her animals off of what they were. That's, so, that's exactly me. Dog, cat, bird. Yeah. I had two rabbits, and they were named Bunny One and Bunny Two. <laughs> very creative. Very creative. The creative force it is, Miss Helen Hong. Yes. yes. Uh, Had that... I gotten a third one, guess what its name would have been? <laughs> Bunny Three. Bunny oh, Three. God. Okay. Well, you should name Hollywood films. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. And um... <laughs> crap. More and... crap. Another and, version of crap. <laughs> uh, Helen mentioned in your intro that you're a director at the Pasadena Humane Society I at am. SPCA. Yes, That's wonderful. I am. Tell I've been doing that. that you do there. I've been doing that for just about five years now. I started with them nine years ago. We got a little flyer in the mail to do a fundraiser they do every year called the Wiggle Waggle Walk. Oh and it's, it's around the Rose Bowl. They actually just had it last weekend. We did it in memory of a dog that I had found 
abandoned at a bus stop when she was four months old. But she died suddenly when she was eight years old from cancer. And so we did that. Way to bring it down, Wheaton. Yeah. Um, so, so we did that in her memory. We raised... I don't even remember how much money. It was like $25,000 in just a few days. And so I kept doing different fundraisers where, like, I made a little book. I did, like, a celebrity rescue pet calendar. and I'm still stuck on Wiggle Waggle Walk. I know. Well, what's funny is they were like, who are these people that are raising all this money so fast? And so they had us come in so we could meet them and see, like, all the things they do at their facility and all the services they provide for um, cities, and then they just they ended up asking me if I wanted to be on the board so I could do that like a little more proactive in the um, shelter instead so of good. just like out of it. So yeah, it's awesome. I love it. And you still rescue pets now yourself, or you you, you yes. foster, adopt, or rescue pets? Um, what do you we, currently have in your stable? We currently have two dogs uh, that are pit mixes and one cat. My friends always refer to me as like a Disney princess because animals will find me. Um, like literally, like one time we were walking down the street and we hear like eh, 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 of a squirrel and we look up and she jumped in the tree. But when she did that, she bounced on the branch and launched all her babies out of the nest. And so it's like these little hairless erasers that fell to the ground, <laughs> but they were all fine. And so we looked up what you do because a lot of times with wildlife, if you touch them, then the parents abandon. Yeah. In them, yeah. not with squirrels. So we scooped them up, put them in a box, and then tucked that box in the tree. And I sat and on the other side of the street and watched her come one at a time and look at me and like flick her tail all irritated. And then she took them one at a time and took them to another nest. And did you sing a squirreling song? I, I did, yes. <laughs> yes, it was lovely little birds were twirling around when I was wow. doing that. But I guess squirrels move nests, they move them all the time. So yeah. it's not a big deal. So she's like, oh, I launched my babies to the ground. Okay, I guess we're going to relocate. So it wasn't a big deal. What? I know. What would you do in that scenario, Ellen? Yeah. I probably would have Googled it, and then I would have called somebody. You know who you could have called? Ann Wheaton, ladies hey, and gentlemen. right there, yes. Friend of the animals. Yes. Participant in segues. Uh, Helen, against whom will Ann Wheaton be playing? He is an actor, writer, and creator and host of the popular show Tabletop. It's Will Wheaton. TV's Will Wheaton. Oh, my God. I never used to say that Look all the that. time. Hello, Will Wheaton. Hello. Hi, Will Wheaton. Hi, Helen. Welcome. Thank you. Now, Will, I understand that you and Anne know each other. Yes, we're roommates <laughs> with benefits. Okay, all right. And we've raised this two is, children. This is a family show. Yeah. We've raised two children together. Excellent. Our benefits are the life insurance benefits we share by virtue of being married. What are you thinking about? Oh, yeah. Also reduced car insurance rates, which is great. Oh, yeah, it's great. wow. Yeah. I love. Yeah. Isn't it a wonderful business transaction? <laughs> I love how I was able to just turn 22 of the best years of my life into a clinical description of yeah. how we file paperwork together. Yeah. Really? Uh, how did you two meet and uh, when and why? It was New Year's Eve 1995. We have a mutual friend. Our friend Stephanie was having a party at her house in Pasadena. And she was like, hey, come to my party and then we'll walk up to Colorado Boulevard to watch the Rose Parade on New Year's Day. Which is a thing that people who get real drunk on New Year's <laughs> Eve talk about doing and then never do. And, I've never and, done it. And I was like, I, you know what? I don't want to go. I'm not interested. I'm going to stay home. And she sent a friend over to my house to pick me up. So I went. 
And at that moment in my life, I was single and I was really happy being single. I wasn't even dating. I wasn't going on dates at all. I was just kind of like being a sad, weird loner. And I was super into it. Um, uh, I'm I'm there right now. That's exactly where I am. So for all the listeners out there, lean into it. Um, And then uh, about 11 o'clock that night, I'm standing on the patio with some friends and in walks this woman who I looked at and I was just like, I'm gonna marry her, and Anne was behind her. (laughs) Wait a second. Anne Wheaton, rebuttal. (laughs) (laughs) This started out so romantic. It really did. It started out strong, and it just, (laughs) downhill. Uh, Yeah, actually, I had a very similar situation. I had dated somebody, and I was unhappy, and I was just like, my New Year's resolution was no dating for six months. And so when I walked in, I knew, obviously, our friend Stephanie and her boyfriend, but I didn't know Will, and I knew their downstairs neighbor. Halfway through the night, Stephanie comes over. She's like, my friend Will thinks you're cute. Like, we're in, like, sixth grade, you know? And I was like, <laughs> and I was like okay, that's cool. Like, I didn't even care. And some other girl was... Did you was, pass her a note? Yeah. Did it say check yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it's funny because, um, like, some, some other girl was talking to him all evening, which didn't matter to me because I was like, no men. And then we ended up talking out on the balcony for, I don't know, like two hours or something like that. And finally, it's like 4.30 in the morning. And really at that point, we could have just powered through and gone to the freaking parade. We probably could have. Because we still right. have never been to that rose parade. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's what keeps your marriage alive. Yes, yes. Not going Every to that. year, it's yeah. like, is this the year it's going to happen? Yeah. yeah. But it's funny because like... Gonna be, it's it's going to be a giant bummer. Like, we're going to call up the kids, you guys. We just wanted to let you know, mom and dad are actually going to the rose parade this year. <laughs> Because then we like, because my New Year's resolution of not dating, we uh, we didn't date. We dated our friend Stephanie and her boyfriend Steve for like six weeks. You know, they'd we just be went like, on a lot of "What are you doing? Dates. Oh, we're, you, you want to go to the movies with us?" And then Will and I would just be those. We were totally those people in the movie that would sit and talk the whole okay, time. One time, <laughs> one time that movie we were was those sense people, and, and it was Sense and Sensibility, <laughs> which so, was so awful so anyway. What? Like, no, That's no, like my we, favorite movie. Oh my god! Egg. Not in my theater, it wasn't. <laughs> And uh, you actually work together as well. You have a nonprofit together. Did I read that right? We that's, do. That's correct. Tell us about that. We run the Foundation to Increase Awesome. Because you can choose any name as long as it's available. What? Yeah. And no one had taken that? And no one, well, yeah, you know can what? you believe it? We wanted something with the word awesome in it, and that was like our fourth try, because there are so many right? that already have it. Which Friends is of ours run a foundation called the Foundation to Decrease World Suck, which I thought was such a cool name, and I was like, I, wanted, I want to do something that's kind of like that. And what does your nonprofit do? We raise money for a variety of charitable and worthy causes. For some strange reason, a little over two years ago, we started aggressively funding Planned Parenthood and the American Civil Liberties Union. Yeah, interesting. Interesting, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Coincidentally, we, uh, we continue to do that. Um, Increasing awesome check and check. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, and then we've used it to raise some money for passing the Humane Society because, as Anne was telling you, that's something that we care deeply about. It's really great. Like, we figure that we have to, like, put a bunch of money in, into taxes 
and I would like to offset some of the money that's going to like make weapons and stuff. Mm -hmm. So by having a foundation, we can make contributions to our own foundation. It reduces our tax burden, but it also lets us do really cool, Help awesome others. things for people. It really increases the awesome. It does. We think so. Now, well, did I read this correctly? You recently left social media. You're off all social media. I'm gone. I, yeah, what? I what? Just in time. Not all of it. Wow. Just in time to promote your appearance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the super short version of this is: it is my opinion that. Twitter has failed leadership that does not take the real-world consequences of its engage-at-all-costs platform mm. seriously. Um, you were a great tweeter. <laughs> well, he was um, on it from, it, like, the third day it became available, Yeah, pretty I think. quickly after it and started. And so how's your life improved? Or? It's really great. As it turns out, not giving every angry head in the world direct access to your time and attention is a good, positive thing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't miss it at all. And I, I decided that if there was something happening in the world that that was real important, I'm going to get a push notification on my phone. But you do have Instagram. And I have Instagram and Facebook, but I don't really count those the same oh, way. Okay. I thought you left everything. You you you, do, you you still keep those. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of have to have something because yeah. there are casting people who flat out refuse to see you if you don't have X number of followers oh, on certain like social media yeah. places. What's the X? The X is uh, whatever Will Wheaton has plus one. Oh, they, no! Yeah, it's you know it's a bummer. Like, I, like on the on the one on the one hand on the one hand it's super cool to be on their list. Yeah. On the other hand, I wish that it was in a different spot. Yeah. But it's whatever I currently have plus one. It's it's rough. I can't catch up. Will Wheaton and Ann Wheaton, ladies and gentlemen. Yay. Yay. All right, Will and Anne, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel of expertise. Anne, you told us you know a lot about 1980s arcade games, Atari 2600 video games, and puns. And Will, you told us that you know a lot about 1980s arcade games, Atari 2600 video games, and baking sourdough bread. Wait a minute. I'm beginning to see why you two get along so well. <laughs> now, later on, we'll ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It is time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. Your topics today, high and low. First up, Anne with high. Your topic, Anne, comes to us from a listener, Dr. Courtney Nicholas of Los Angeles, California, who I believe is in our audience tonight. Thank you, Dr. Nicholas. Anne, they both get you high, but what is the difference between altitude and elevation? Altitude and elevation. Elevation is what is above sea level? Okay. <laughs> altitude is the thinness of the air. The thinness of the air. Yes. That is 100% what I was going to say. Well, Will, you do have a chance That's... to steal if you don't think she's got it exactly right. What do you think? Elevation is measured in linear units, miles or meters. Okay. And atmosphere is measured in pressure. We're asking altitude. Uh, I mean altitude, altitude is, is measured in atmospheric pressure. That would be, that would be my smart-sounding guess. Excuse Your identical me. answer, again, why they've been married for 16 years, perhaps. All right, well, this segment is experiencing turbulence. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Elevation is a measurement above sea level. What? Altitude is a measurement above the ground below. 
For example, if I were to fly in a balloon 100 feet above Angel City Brewery, I would be flying at 100 feet of altitude because I'm 100 feet above the ground. But Angel City Brewery is 259.2 feet above sea level, so my balloon would be at 349.2 feet of elevation. Uh, That's okay. Okay, let's get it all out now. There's a long show. Scientific naming conventions. <laughs> Boy, are you guys looking forward to all the wrong answers we'll get tonight and hearing more of that sound? I have a go. lot of them. Here we go. Uh, altitude usually also refers to something above the ground, like an airplane or a drone or a balloon, uh, while elevation usually refers to a point on the surface of the Earth or something attached to the Earth. So, Helen, what does that mean as far as our points go? I'm going to give Anne one point because you got elevation correct. You did say what is above sea level, but... Woo! Both of you bombed out on altitude. I know. A little Boo. bit, a little bit. All right, one you point You guys did him. not have a liftoff on altitude. Oh. Yeah, we, yeah. we, we flew a little too close to the sun. Yeah. Clouds. Up next in high and low, Will with low. Okay. Will, your question also comes to us from a listener, Kathy Ferber of Ontario, Canada, our neighbor to the north. Uh, Will, they yes. both mean you ain't got as much, but what is the difference between less and fewer? Less and fewer. Oh, I know this because this is a dumb argument that comes up on the internet all the time. Uh, Isn't it nice to know that if you get it wrong, no one will tweet you about it? Fewer is. (laughs) Super is. Fewer fewer is when you have a fewer number of things, and less is when you have a smaller amount of things. Like, there are fewer people, so it weighs less. Is that a good enough answer? I mean, it's like... If you put a period at the end of it. Okay. All right. Period. Oh... Period drop. Uh, all right, we have Will's answer, Anne. We don't know yet if he's exactly correct. Anne, what do you think? Uh, I, I would agree with him. That's why they get along so See? well. <laughs> but, but one guy, one wrong. guy still has love in his heart. Uh, all right, this segment is dwindling to nothing. Let's get to Helen Hong at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. Fewer describes a smaller number of countable things. Less describes a smaller amount of something that you can't really count. For example, I could control my alcohol intake by pouring less booze into each glass, or I could drink fewer glasses of booze, but neither one of those things is gonna happen. Yes, that's right. Helen likes booze. Uh, what does it mean as far as our score goes, Helen? Uh, I'm actually going to give two points to Will. Will yeah! got it exactly right. Very nice, very nice. Take that, internet arguers. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that will silence all critics on the internet, Will. I mean, I, f- I feel like I just basically won every argument ever. <laughs> Helen, what is our score at the end of that first round? After the first round, Ann Wheaton has one point and Will Wheaton has two points. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. <laughs> This is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. It's a podcast that we do as uh, we, ma- we are married. And how's the ad going so far? Because I think it's going very good. <laughs> we talk about things we like every week on Wednesdays. One time Rachel talked about pumpernickel bread. It was so tight. You cannot afford to miss her talking about this sweet brown bread. We also talk about music and poems and, you know, weather. There is one... Weather? <laughs> one time Rachel talked about Baby Beluga, the song, for like 14 minutes. And it just really blew my hair back. So. <laughs> 
So check us out on MaximumFun.org. It's a cool podcast with chill vibes. Amber is the color of our energy, is what all the iTunes reviews say. <laughs> they will now. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Ann Wheaton with one point and Will Wheaton with two points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen Hong. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> and of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about 1980s arcade games, Atari 2600 video games, and puns. So let's uh, get to know you a little bit better. Tell us about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about 1980s arcade games. It started when my brother and I would raid our dad's piggy bank on his dresser and take all the quarters. And then we would go up to our local arcade and, uh, and play all the games that... I don't remember exactly which ones were there at that time, but it was advanced technology because it was, you know, 8-bit. So it was, <laughs> it was very exciting. Wait, how old were you? Ten. Mm. What were some of the games that you liked to play at the time? Well, Pac-Man was great. When Ms. Pac-Man came out, that was even better. Donkey Kong was pretty good. Centipede. Mm-hmm. Galaga. Missile Command, I think, was another good one. I like that I'm looking at you. Why are you looking at me? Because you're going to end up destroying me on this. Whatever. (laughs) All right. Well, you also said you know a lot about Atari 2600 video games. Tell us about that. Well, um, I'm pretty sure that the reason why my husband is with me today is because I still have my Atari 2600 from from Christmas 1977. Whoa, it still works? That is not the reason. (laughs) It doesn't hurt, though, does it, Will? I mean, it it helps. I feel like it came up within the first week or two of getting to know each other, and he was like, what? Show me this. So, yeah, so I still have it. Again, I wasn't talking about the Atari. No! Oh. Oh. <laughs> Wait, you kept it all I still have it. My brother and I, my brother's two years older than me, and we, like, we have like 15 games in the manuals. I still have all that, like the paddle controllers for Pong, and um, the joystick ones where the cover came off of one of them, and so we'd always fight over who ended up with that one. Um, <laughs> but we would like trade custody of it once a year. And then when um, my kids are older than his, and when he got when he had kids, he was afraid they were going to destroy it. So it's been living with me permanently. Nice. We since. even have an old like CRT television set because that's what, what you have to put it on. Yeah. And finally, you said you know a lot about puns. Yes, I do. I am like the queen of dad jokes, and I uh, I feel like I feel like that my jokes have rubbed off on him as well. So I feel like if we have a pun off, we'll have to see who oh, actually. So you're just wins both intolerable at parties. <laughs> The worst. Well, what's funny is, like, I will say something that's so funny that he'll just go, wow, that's funny. Like, he doesn't but even you laugh. you know, like, when somebody writes a great joke in the room, mm-hmm. you don't stop and crack up. You yeah. just go, you, you, you either go, that is, that is so unbelievable, or, or you curse them yeah. for coming up with such a great joke that you couldn't come up oh, with. Oh, stand-up it's, comedians are notorious for never laughing. We're just, like, funny. Oh, God, that was it is, it is the. I think it is the highest praise you can get from another co- comedian or comedy writer yeah. is like, oh my God, that is so funny. Yep. Whoa, so in other words, all those audiences I've been performing in front of are just comedians? Yeah. That's why they don't laugh? <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. So Anne, as you said, you know a lot about 1980s arcade games, Atari 2600 video games, and puns. Today we're going to quiz you about 1980s arcade games. Oh! Now, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in the topic to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question, worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show off, here are five trivia questions about the topic, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, we'll do listen closely, because if Anne answers incorrectly and you know the correct answer, you can steal. Will, by the way, how much do you know about 1980s arcade games? I'm going to guess a lot, because it was also one of your topics. (laughs) 
I know a fair amount about it. I used to write a column for the AV Club called The Games of Our Lives. Oh, boy. And, Here we go, Ann. And, and this was, so this was a boy. column about those games that you would remember from mm. the arcade that you enjoyed playing, but they're not the top-level marquee games. Oh, okay. So, so it would be a game like Make Tracks or Bagman, or uh, on the Atari 2600, it would be something like Cosmic Arc uh, or Demons to Diamonds, Just, you know, games that were not, they weren't Pac-Man, they weren't Berserk, mm-hmm. they weren't Karate Champ, they were, they were the ones that you remembered, right. but you didn't think about them until you read the column. So you really have no excuse for not getting a correct steal if Anne gets any of these wrong. Um, I mean, I kind of feel like I'm obligated to steal at least one. All right. Uh, but uh, having said that, I'm sure I'm going to humiliate myself. <laughs> All right, we do have to get to the quiz. Anne, here's your first question about 1980s arcade games. An arcade game that debuted in the late 1970s became so popular in the 1980s that by 1982, it had grossed over $2 billion. It also spawned several competitors to release their own nearly identical games with titles such as Space Fever, Cosmic Monsters, and Beam Invader. What game originally made by Tato were these clones copying? I'm going to say... Oh, my God. Will Wheaton is just fidgeting yeah. in his he chair. He is about to burst. I don't want to make you nervous, but I knew the answer before he finished reading the question. <laughs> wow. You do have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint, but it's up to you. Um, no, I will wait. I will say Space Invaders. Helen? That is, that is correct. Yes. A point for Anne. Anne and her poker face. Yeah. Woo. Question number two. Dirk the Daring is the hero of what video game that was one of the first to feature hand-drawn animation, professional voice actors, and play via Laserdisc? I'm going to say Cubert. Helen, is it Cubert? It's it super not, not Cubert. Uh, we'll, we'll let Helen do her job. Don't interrupt. Not Cubert. Will with a chance to steal. It's Dragon's Lair. Helen? That is correct. It is Dragon's Lair, correct. Can I tell you fun facts about the games if I know them? There we go. Sure, why not? Okay, so Dragon's Lair was animated by Don Bluth. Right. uh, Who animated my very first ever voice acting job, The Secret of Nim. Oh, that is a fun fact. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and let's see if we can bounce back with question number three. Okay. What company made arcade games in the 80s such as Punch-Out, Popeye, and Arm Wrestling? I'm going to use the hint. Helen, how about that first hint? The company is still around and thriving because it shifted to making video games to be played at home. Nintendo. Ellen? That is that correct. Is correct. Yes. Yeah. Excellent use of the hints. Nintendo is the correct answer. I've redeemed myself. All right, question number four, Anne. In 1983, Bally Midway released an arcade game where the object was to reunite a rock band with its instruments. The band was real, and the game featured photos of its members and songs of theirs as background music. What was the band, which is also the title of the game? Journey. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. Yes. Boom. I still can't believe that actually existed. (laughs) Nice branding, Journey. All right, Anne, here's question number five. What classic video game from Atari was the first to be designed by a woman? You do have a second hint available if you'd like it. I will take the hint. Helen, how about that second hint? It was a vertically oriented fixed shooter game. Vertically oriented fixed shooter game. Do you know what those things mean? Because I had to look them up. I'm going to say Duck Hunt. Helen, was it Duck Hunt? It was not, not Duck Hunt. Not Duck Hunt. Oh. We with a chance to steal. Did you say the title of the game? I did not. <laughs> you son uh, of a gun. So if, it, if it's Atari, it's either Galaxian or Galaga, and I'm thinking that it's probably Galaxian because I think that was 1979 and Galaga was 1981. Excuse me. So 
So, uh, so, uh, so I'm gonna guess Galaxian, but I don't feel strongly about it. You know, I'm gonna it. give you two guesses. Was it Galaxian or Galaga, Helen? It was neither. It was neither. Damn it! And he crashes back down to oh, Earth that's right. in a pile of nerd yeah, shame. Yeah, where's your fun fact now, see? Uh, uh, no, the correct you answer. you had such nerd hubris when yeah. you're giving your answers that I was yeah, like, I know. oh, he yeah. thinks he's right. Yeah. No, the correct answer uh, was actually Centipede. Centipede was the first game to be designed by a woman. Yeah. It was designed by Donna Bailey, who was a real game. pioneer. Uh, and we actually want to give an extra shout out to because she actually helped us put together tonight's episode. So thank that's you, Donna. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations, Donna Bailey. Donna Bailey. Um, if was I the only one, or did everyone have that issue with the rollerball and pinching? Oh, your pinchy, hand? very pinchy. Very yeah, pinchy. very pinchy in this game. Yeah. Uh, Atari football a, was the worst for yeah. pinching this game. That was and a great command. game. Yeah. I did not realize it was designed by a woman. Yeah. No wonder I liked it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> All right, Anne, you did pretty well in that. But now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. Dun dun dun. Wow. No, I think Woo covers it. I don't okay, need the sorry. dun dun dun. But take it back. To you. <laughs> Uh, the question is so high level, we're bringing on an expert to assess your response. The answer is worth up to three points. And I have a feeling this might be in your wheelhouse based on something you said earlier. Pac-Man is, of course, one of the most famous arcade games ever, and its success spawned several iterations. The most popular was Ms. Pac-Man, but there were eight other variations that hit arcades in the 1980s. For up to three points, name three of them. Super Pac-Man, Pac-Man Jr., one more. Pac-Man goes to Ernest Camp. No, uh, <laughs> um, hold on. So I said Super, super Pac-Man, Pac-Man Jr. Don't forget Jr. Pac-Man Electric Boogaloo. And um, can I get a hint on this No one? hints in the cluster uh, facts. Um, Which, by the way, I think would make an excellent T-shirt for the show, wouldn't it? No hints in the cluster facts? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would totally rock that. And, and Ms. Pac-Man? Is no, Ms. Pac-Man. No, we're saying aside was, from Ms. Pac-Man, uh, name three okay. of the other eight. I'm going to go with Baby Pac-Man. And with Baby Pac-Man. All right, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is the owner of Vintage Arcade Superstore, one of the largest stores in the world that buys, sells, and restores classic arcade games. It's Gene Lewin. Gene Lewin, ladies and gentlemen. Gene, get up nice and close to that microphone, please. Welcome, Gene. Hello, Gene. Hi. Now, Gene, you were actually no stranger to trivia about arcade games. Uh, you participated and, if I'm not mistaken, dominated some games before. Yes, they had a trivia contest at a show called California Extreme, and I won every time. Oh. <laughs> and so what did they do uh, to counter that? One, the one year they had a thing where they tried to beat Gene Lewin. <laughs> okay. And did, did, did someone? No, they were unsuccessful. Unsuccessful. <laughs> you know your stuff. Uh, Gene, tell us a little bit about the Vintage Arcade Superstore. Where is it? How long have you had it? And all that great stuff. I've had Vintage Arcade Superstore since 1995. It's in Glendale, California. I have hundreds of classic games. I used to own arcades, so I have tons of experience with these games. That's great. And uh, what, what is an arcade game from that era, from the, from the 80s, let's say? What, what does that cost if I want to have one in my home? Usually around twenty five hundred. Oh, I'm not gonna have that in my home. Um, Wait, can you? It's a store, but can people go in and play the games? Well, we have a showroom for people to come try them out. Oh, oh that's so cool. We also rent it out for parties. Oh. What? And Will, is, Will and Ann are nodding their heads. I think we know what their next uh, anniversary party is gonna be. Maybe we're not gonna wait that long. What are some of the most uh, popular games that are requested? That. Uh, Miss Pac-Man, Galaga, Donkey Kong, mm-hmm. Frogger, Dig Dug. And uh, is it true that, that uh, the arcades could decide to make a game uh, easier or more difficult depending on how many quarters they wanted? Many games had difficulty settings. But I knew it. 
I always got the most difficult setting. <laughs> yep. They didn't change it that much. Oh, okay. But you could also change the bonus levels where you got extra lives yeah. or how many lives you got per game. That's cool. Uh, is, there a, is there a holy grail of classic games? Is there, is there a game that, that you haven't come across that you're, you're hoping that one day you will? Well, Major Havoc, the original cabinet, is almost considered like the holy grail of it's video such games. such a freaking great game. Oh, yeah? God, I love uh, it. Wait, you have one or you don't? I don't. Oh, but you, you want one. Yeah, they're worth a lot of money. Can I ask a question? Of course, please do. What's your position on Polybius? I don't think the game ever existed. What are you talking about for the uh, people who don't know? There was this amazing urban legend that went around 100 million years ago that for a very brief time a video game appeared in an arcade in, I think it's Portland, is that right? Somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And the game was just called Polybius. And uh, weird things happened to people who played it. And it was like, it was like a, depending on who was telling you the story, yeah. it was a CIA mind control uh, experiment. Was it, it like was, Satanic Panic? It was, it was around that time, yeah. So, so the idea was that like the, the Department of Defense or the CIA like put it in, or the Men in Black, put it in this one arcade what? for like a very short amount of time, used it to test some people, gr- found some people who were really good at video games and sucked them off into some MK Ultra kind of program. Oh my God. And I, and and I love that you, you thought that was still so real that you asked an expert if it was a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great story. Yeah. Isn't it a great story? Is I've heard that X-Files story. Episode? Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, it's there's actually a, there's a PC version of the game that someone made. That's amazing. Oh, I'm going to wow. go look that up. We actually yeah. put one together for somebody. You oh, built a Polybius cabinet? Yeah, we made, put a PC inside of it and had it play the PC game. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> Are well, you two finished? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, we could all talk with you for uh, all night about classic games, but we do have our game to get to here. So let's get to the reason that we brought you here tonight as far as our game goes. You heard the question that we asked Anne. We wanted to know three of the eight other variations besides Ms. Pac-Man that hit arcades in the 1980s. Helen, let's remind everyone of the first answer that Anne gave us. Anne said Super Pac-Man. And uh, Mr. Loon, is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. Super Pac-Man. And if I recall, that was just Pac-Man, but but bigger. Regular size Pac-Man, and if you ate the super pellet... The pellets were bigger, okay, yeah. No, then you become super Pac-Man. Then you become bigger. I knew there was some sort of uh, weird... And there's a super speed button that when you're super sized, you can go super fast. Excellent. All right, so that's one point for Anne. Very good. Uh, Helen, what was the second answer that Anne gave us? Anne said Pac-Man Jr. And Mr. Lewin? It's actually called Junior Pac-Man, but oh. I'd are say you, that... Are you going to give her the point? I would. Another point for <laughs> Anne! <laughs> and what was, the, what was the variation of that? How did Junior Pac-Man look different than regular Pac-Man? It was more like Ms. Pac-Man, but the maze was triple wide, so it would, the screen would scroll to the right and scroll to the left. Oh, cool. And you had more power dots, and it had a little Junior Pac-Man. Oh, very cool. He has a little propeller beanie. He's adorable. Oh, look at the little <laughs> Junior Pac-Man. Uh, and finally, Helen, what was the third answer that Anne gave? Anne said, baby Pac-Man. And Mr. Lewin? That's correct. That is oh, my correct. God! Yeah. What? <laughs> and three for three in the oh, cluster effect. This and is so I remember, exciting. I remember uh, Baby, uh, Baby Pac-Man because it was a very unusual game. Describe this game for people who haven't seen it. Baby Pac-Man was a hybrid game. <clears throat> it was half pinball and half video game. So you would, you would play the video game, go down on the bottom to an exit, and then you'd play pinball. What? And you yep. could build up power dots and extra speed and stuff like that and the pinball. And then you go back into the video game. Yeah, I think I played it twice. That's why I was like, I feel like that's a thing. Yeah, but yeah. they had it at Ferrell's. Yeah. That's all I remember. <laughs> I remember it being really hard. 
Is it as hard as I remember it? I don't think so. <laughs> Will Wheaton in his place. Look, uh, I'm used to not being good at stuff. <laughs> See, well, you don't have to I, go to Twitter to get, that's, that's uh, to get shut live. down. Um, very good, Anne. The other iterations of Pac-Man that we did not mention were Pac-Man Plus, Professor Pac-Man, which is a trivia game, Pac and Pal, Pac-Land, and Pac-Mania. Uh, Mr. Lewin, if people want to find out more about you or your vintage arcade superstore, where can they find you? Um, I have a website called vintagearcade.net, or you can just give us a call. Excellent. We're certainly happy that you joined us. Gene Lewin, ladies and gentlemen, of the Vintage Arcade Superstore. Helen, let's get a score recap at the end of that round. At the end of that round, Ann Wheaton has seven points, and Will Wheaton has three points with a round of questions coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Will about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Will and Ann will go head-to-head in our Fast Facts round to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. It's Janet Varney of the JV Club podcast, and I am so excited to be joining Maximum Fun. If you're not yet familiar with the JV Club, it's a podcast with me and some of my favorite women, and in the summer, men, as we explore the highs and lows of our terrible teenage years into what I like to call our adult lessons. For example, hear Emily Heller describe her time on the national circuit for the debate team, or how Travis McElroy took over his drama class and gave his fellow students notes. Yeah, that went over great. Or let Busy Phillips tell you how she met Sharon Stone at an Arizona toy fair. You can join me and all my once awkward, sometimes still awkward friends every Thursday by subscribing to the JV Club on MaximumFun.org. where our score is Ann Wheaton with seven points and Will Wheaton with three points. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everybody. We've got a great game going. Will, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about 1980s arcade games, yes. Atari 2600 video games, yes. and baking sourdough bread. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's find a little bit more about each of them. Uh, first of all, you said you know a lot about 1980s arcade games. Tell us about that. Uh, well, I used to write a column for the AV Club about classic arcade games, and as a result of doing that, I played thousands of games on emulators, and uh, there were drugstores and convenience stores and 7-Elevens and donut shops all in my town, mm. and each one had different games. What? So, so, like... Discount variety is where you went for Defender and Mr. <laughs> Do um, and, and, uh, and, and, and Robotron. Um, wait, you, wait, they would have games at the 7-Eleven? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, hell it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For, like, it, it was... was, it was, oh, it was oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was not uncommon for 7-Eleven to have two uh, arcade cabinets or two arcade cabinets and a pinball table. That was super, super common. Uh, my 7-Eleven was where we went for Super Mario Brothers um, and Pingo. Oh, they had Pingo. A Pingo. A penguin there. with the ice, with the ice guys. Yeah. 7-Elevens now yeah. are so then, lame. There was... There was there was one of those bootleg games called Crazy Kong, uh, which is a bootleg of Donkey Kong, uh, and that was up at the donut shop. Uh, <laughs> and strangely, I would go in there and I would play that until they would make me leave and I never bought donuts. Now I'm hearing why they always made me leave. <laughs> All right, well, you also said you know a lot about Atari 2600 video games. Yeah, so I used to write a column for the AV Club about classic <laughs> games. Let's talk about baking sourdough bread. All right. 
Let me guess, you wrote a car, uh, column for the AV Club. Yeah, but baby, sour no bread. I wrote a column for Martha Stewart Living. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I used to be a home brewer. Um, I, uh, I used to uh, homebrew beer all the time. And uh, three years ago, I decided that alcohol was in danger of becoming a problem in my life. Mm. And I wanted to see what would happen if I didn't uh, drink for a day, mm. and then another day. And then I just started adding those days up, and a few months went by. And I didn't miss drinking, but I missed the experience of brewing beer. You missed oh. yeast. I did. I really <laughs> missed yeast. So I started to uh, uh, bake bread. Mm. Because a lot of the skills are very similar. You're, you're taking yeast and you're feeding it sugars and you're putting it in, 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 a, in a medium to do stuff, like, you know, for science and cooking to happen. Interesting. And I understand you brought some sourdough bread for the entire audience. No, I'm sorry. You did not understand that correctly. No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, I tried. Uh, and uh, and you and and do you enjoy the sourdough bread that uh, Will bakes? I do. I don't enjoy that he gets flour everywhere. Oh, like, like literally it, everywhere. Literally everywhere. And it, but it's funny because he just like traded off that he used to get beer and all of those ingredients yeah. all over the place. So he just swapped it out for flour. Yeah, you need to find a less messy hobby for him to work with his hands. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, has, I also paint. Yeah, oh, he's, boy. He's, he started painting. He started, Finger painting? Uh, no, no. Uh, he, um, Bob Ross. We, oh. We've been watching Bob what? Ross episodes yeah. for months. I actually, we started calling it our night-night TV because he's so soothing, yeah. so soothing that we'd watch him. And then I'm like, I have to go to bed right now. I'm so tired. Will, do you know how to paint a pretty little cloud? I made some really happy little clouds oh. just yesterday, as a matter of fact. Adorable. And then I wanted to make the clouds a little more dramatic and yeah. really make them stand out. So I mixed up a little bit of titanium white and a little <laughs> bit of midnight black. And I just mixed them up on the brush there. I just didn't worry about Hold it. Hold on, I'm I falling asleep. ran the brush back and forth through it, and I brought it up to a nice chisel point. And then with just the corner of the brush, just the tip of it in a very light oh. touch, just three you hairs weird? and some air. Will's hair is I growing a big afro as he's talking. To, it's so strange. What a in, phenomenon. I mixed in some friends for him so they wouldn't be alone, and I put some stormy little gray clouds in front of him. You do that very That's well. That's really good. Like, Will I'm Wheaton, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so to summarize, Will, you said you know a lot about 1980s arcade games, Atari 2600 video games, and baking sourdough bread. Today, we're going to quiz you about 1980s arcade games. Oh, boy. <laughs> I hope I didn't use up all of my knowledge on Anne's questions. <laughs> or your pedantry. Um, <laughs> now, just ahead. Oh, my God. I say that with love because I know you would laugh. <laughs> Just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in 1980s arcade games to test your mastery. But before that, to give you a chance to show off, here are your five trivia questions about 1980s arcade games, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a total of two hints for these five questions. And do listen closely, because you can steal if Will gets any wrong. By the way, Anne, how much do you know about 1980s arcade games? Well, you know, I know a little bit about them. Yeah. I have played them, I'd, yes. I'd say about uh, five to six points worth. Yeah, yeah. something <laughs> like that, something like that. All right, here we go. Question number one for Will Wheaton. Asteroids, Missile Command, and Tempest were all classic 1980s arcade games made by what California company? Atari. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. We're just getting warmed up. Number two, the arcade game Tapper challenged players to act as bartender, filling mugs of beer, clearing empties, and collecting tips. You know, mm -hmm. for kids. What huge beer-making company sponsored the game and prominently Budweiser. featured one of its brand's logos? Budweiser. Helen? That is not correct. Not correct. You need to listen to the, the question. The, the and, hell it's not! And with a chance to steal. Miller. 
No. No, it's Budweiser. They do this Bud's for you in the bonus round when you open up the can. Is that the name of the company? Anheuser Busch. Anheuser Busch is the correct answer for the beer maker. I'm sorry, we asked the question as is. Does that mean I get it because I said Anheuser? No, because you said Miller. No, no. Let's see if you can bounce back with question number three. What 1982 video game featured a chef trying to make giant hamburgers by walking across the ingredients while avoiding contact with anthropomorphic walking eggs, hot dogs, and pickles. Anheuser-Busch. <laughs> no, that game was Burger Time. Ellen? That is correct. That is correct. It is Burger Time. Want to know a fun fact about Burger Time? I do. Maybe it's the same as mine. Uh, burger Time was in the hotel that we stayed in when we filmed Stand By Me, <gasps> and I learned that there was a way to short out the coin box by touching it with a wet hand, thereby giving you a free game. So if you didn't mind a mild electrical shock... <laughs> And what 12-year-old does, you were able to get free games at Burger Time, and I got really, really, really good on it. And for a very brief time, my name was in the high scores at Ground Control Arcade in Portland, Oregon. Wow. Will Wheaton, ladies and gentlemen. He also has no feeling in this arm because he <laughs> yeah, zapped yeah. it so much when he was a kid. You You're... know what's weird? That's the exact same fun fact that I had. Uh, your, ner- your nerdism runs deep. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It comes well, right on. I used to write a column for the AV club. Oh, boy. About sourdough bread. (laughs) Question number four. A 1984 movie plot revolved around a kid who loved to play a video game about spies becoming involved with spies who are smuggling secrets in a video game. The title of the movie is the same title as the video game he loved to play and the title of the arcade game released in real life to coincide with the movie. What is that title? It is my second favorite Dabney Coleman film after (laughs) 9 to 5. Yes. And it is the greatest uh, uh, Atari, I want to say 5200 game that I never could afford, Cloak and Dagger. Helen? That is correct. Helen is correct. Cloak and Dagger. Yes. The movie starred Dabney Coleman and Henry Thomas. Yes. Question number five. Will, Donkey Kong was the classic arcade game that first introduced Nintendo's Mario. But before he had that name, Mario was known by two other names. Name one of them. Jumpman. Do you know the other one, by the way? (sighs) Well, first of all, Helen, is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. Of course, it is Jumpman. Can you get the other uh, name? I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be mad at myself when, when you say it because I, I'm, I'm not, I can't get it. What is it? Uh, it is Mr. Video. Mr. Video. Mr. Video. I wouldn't yeah. have gotten that. I don't yeah. think I knew that. I think that's, I new, I think that's new information one, to me. Yeah. That's, that's new. Yeah, it's funny. We actually asked our prior expert, uh, Mr. Lewin, when we were going over these questions. He didn't know it either, so apparently it's very obscure. Wow. Yeah. That's a cool piece of trivia. Yeah, you know who knows it now? Listeners to go All fact yourself, that's ladies and right. gentlemen. Damn straight. All right, well, you did quite well in that round, but now here is your expert-level question that requires okay. multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. The correct answer is worth up to three points. Okay. Will, in November of 1980, Atari released an arcade game that remains one of the most unique and one of the most memorable, a first-person shooter that used wireframe vector graphics on a vector monitor controlled by two joysticks. The game was so compelling, the U.S. Army commissioned Atari to build a version to use for training. For up to three points, what was the name of the game, what weapon did players control, and what was the only animated object to appear in the game's background horizon? The game was Battlezone. The animated object was a flying saucer, uh, which might also be called a missile, uh, because it turned into a missile and came toward the player when you played it. 
And I want to say that it's the Bradley tank, but I think that's wrong because Atari was commissioned by the Department of Defense to make a Bradley tank simulator based on the hardware uh, for Battlezone. Um, but in, in absence of, of being confident about another thing, I'm just going to guess Bradley tank, period. Thank you. <laughs> for that. You know, it's funny, there's a thing Oh, in, wait, wait. wait oh. There's a volcano on the background. There's an animated volcano on the background. So I want to revise my answer. All right. So I'm going to say that, and I, maybe I've outsmarted myself, which... Um, so, uh, yeah. so I'm going to presume that I was incorrect in my first answer. I'd like to change it to, to volcano. So battle zone, mm -hmm. uh, uh, volcano, mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 uh, and, and Bradley, I don't feel good about. Okay, but tank, a kind a of a tank. tank. Yeah, you drive a tank, yeah. All right, Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is a game designer who helped make classic 1980s arcade games for Atari. It's Owen Rubin. Owen Rubin, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Oh. Hi. How are you? Welcome, Hi. Mr. Rubin. Please go say hello into the microphone. Hello into the microphone. There you go. And say goodnight, Gracie. Welcome, Mr. Rubin. Uh, Will, you seem to be very pleased to see Mr. Rubin. Wow, dude, thank you for all the joy you put in my life. Thank you for the quarters. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, oh, and you actually are not in the LA area. You flew down just for this. I did. I'm a wow. 49ers fan. Okay, so you're up in the Bay Area. You came in to, uh, to be with us tonight, and you're leaving right after the show. So I am thank you so right much for doing show. that. We really appreciate that. Wow, thank you. that's awesome. And they told me it was you, so I'm going to do that. Uh, now, before we talk about the old days at Atari, tell us more about what you're doing these days. I'm retired, which, okay. which means I do a lot of stuff for free now, so I work with a lot of nonprofits. So, right. What kind of work do you do uh, for the um, nonprofits? Well, I work for um, for a, a nonprofit that takes care of elderly, finds them housing. So I'm there. I'm actually do. I'm on their finance committee. So oh, I we find money, mm -hmm. uh, which is always the hard part. And I've just joined the board of a um, of a group called Rhythmics, and they're trying to bring um, entertainment, music, uh, stage to kids in schools. So we play. We do a lot of stuff. With Sounds kids. like you're increasing the awesome yourself. Yeah, it's very fun stuff. And what did you do after you left Atari? Well, let's see, after I left Atari, I went to Bally. So I was at Bally Sente for uh, about four years. Uh, and I shut them down, so that was... <laughs> I, was, I was actually got to turn off the lights and sell the computers. It was really kind of sad. Uh, and then I was at Apple for about eight years, designing Macs. So. Very cool. So what was it like working for Atari at that time, which many people call the golden age of arcade games? It spoiled the hell out of me because no other job would ever be as good, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that was playing for a living. And it was hard work, but it was playing. We had a good time doing that stuff. So. That's great. And now uh, tell us about some of the games that you worked on, one of which I believe is on your well, here, this shirt. Well, is, here, this is because that's an audio. I'll stand up and show that shirt. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Major Havoc was my game. Um, it's so, only one of, like, I'm not just saying this because you're here. It's only <laughs> one of the greatest arcade games ever. Thank you. Yes. What you did with vector <laughs> graphics and perspective in that game while keeping it really fun yeah. and the yeah. challenge curve is fair. Uh, we worked hard on that. Oh, my God. It is an amazing, amazing Thank game. You. It took longer than a year to make, which was very unusual for arcade games. They wanted them out in six months, and I just kept dragging that out. And it actually had Mark Cerny, who people in the arcade industry will know, 
uh, Marble Madness and, and you know, Sonic, if you played Sonic. Um, he, he joined the, 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 he was very young. He had just been there for a short time. And I said, I need help because we need to finish it. And so he came on to do the last levels that I still can't get through. <laughs> wow. And uh, you also worked, in addition to the arcade games, you also worked on the home game side? A little bit. Okay. So I was one of the, there was a weird kind of rivalry between the 2600 group and the coin-op group, because uh, in the arcade group, we were designing games, and then the 2600 guys were copying them, and we wouldn't get bonuses, but they'd get these huge bonuses because they would do much better on the, in the 2600. So. You mean in terms of profitability? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, I saw a lot of games that, I, that we just, you know, they went out in their car and they not kill it. And then the guys, well, we'll take it up here, upstairs, bring it up here, and they would make it, and it would make a lot of money. So some games play better at home. So. And I still have my 2600 as well, by the way. Um, Neat. And, uh, do, you have, do, you, do you store in a cardboard box also? It's like still in its original one? cardboard box. <laughs> Absolutely. It's exactly. It is. How, how did Atari feel about other companies making cartridges for the home systems? Well, they made money on it, so why would they oh, care, so they right? Would, yeah, they were like, licensed to do so? Yeah, I mean, the, more people would buy the... The, the 2600 is an interesting, an interesting design. It was originally designed to do, like, fighting games and tank games and a few airplane games, and they figured it would last about two years. And what the programmers did on that hardware just blew me away. I mean, I... I remember seeing some of the things that uh, that were done on there. That I guess, like, how did they do that? It's not supposed to do that. Um, there was a, I don't know if it's a book called Racing the Beam, and that's the way you program that. You would, instead of commenting your code about what it does, you would count the number of cycles so you knew where the beam was on the screen, and you would change things on the fly. That's the only way you get that hardware to do some of the things it did, and Activision was really the best at that of all of them. And uh, what do you think about games uh, these days? Do you, do you stay current with uh, the trends and the technology? I, I play games on my phone because yeah. it kind of feels arcade-ish. Yeah. You know, arcade games were what I would, other than when you cheat them and play them forever, uh, <laughs> which I love because I didn't know that. That's wonderful. I'm going to go okay. try it. It wasn't an Atari game. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. Well, so side note, I, when we used to go to the, the game shows, we wanted to see if the, the other games were any good, so there was a little gadget that would do a static spark so I used to run it down the sleeve of my long sleeve shirt to a, to a thimble on my hand, and I'd walk up to games and go, clack, and it would, it would hit them with a big static spark. And most of the time, we got free games out of it. Whoa. <laughs> and you didn't have to stand in any water to do it. You didn't have to stand in water. And no Atari game it would work on because we knew how to handle static. <laughs> because I was, you know... <laughs> Uh, and uh, is it true that like y your phone can do billion things more than you were able to oh, do with any of the arcade more. games? So you think about it, arcade games way back then were a 750 kilohertz, not megahertz, kilohertz <clears throat> processor, and that was because it was the speed of the screen going down, and they had a page of memory, you know, 128 bytes, sometimes 256 if your machine was complicated, and not much memory. And so um, on that note, there's actually a group of us rebuilding major havoc. There's going to be new ones. It's a 1983 game. I cannot believe the number of people are still interested in it. Are so you, Are you okay? <laughs> I was I can, trying to be cool. Like, why did you do that? I can, why I start got, now? So I we, can feel the, the trembling. So we got a guy that's copying the cabinet. We, this guy, Scott, has made a new little tiny board about that big that will play all the vector games. And then this kid calls me out of the blue and, and he, he starts asking me, what does this memory thing do and what does that do? Why do you want to know this? And he says, well, I'm adding four levels to Major Havoc. There's not what? enough room to put four levels in there. And he did it. He sent me the ROMs. There's four <laughs> levels. So when this project started, he said, I want to do the end of the game that you never got to write because mm. I've talked about it. And so there's going to be a new version coming out, we hope, by California Extreme next year uh, called The Promised End. 
and it's an end of that game because it never ends, unfortunately, right now. Well, if you so. need any testers, I, Will might know somebody. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm Will super we... bad at it, but I love it. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to Thank the you. reason that we brought you here tonight as far as this game goes. Of course, you heard the question that we asked of Will. We wanted to know what was the name of the game that was the first-person shooter that used wireframe vector graphics. Helen, what did Will say? Will said Battlezone. And Owen? That is correct. That is correct. It is Battlezone. There's a point for Will. Next, we wanted to know what was the weapon that players controlled in that game. Helen, what did Will say? Will said Bradley Tank. Owen? So uh, if you throw the, way, the word Bradley away, you've got it. And I'll explain, I can explain Bradley. Sure, but Tank is correct. Tank and we're going to give you a point for that, Will. Yeah. All right. It was a tank. Yeah. It was a tank. And then finally, we wanted to know what was the only animated object to appear in the game's background horizon. What did Will eventually say, Helen? <laughs> eventually, Will said volcano. Owen? And that is correct. That is correct. Three for three in the cluster facts for Will Wheaton. Now, can I take I, two I minutes talk... to explain the volcano? Tell us about the erupting volcano so, in Battlezone. So a quick, a quick hats off to Ed Rodberg, the guy who really designed that. Um, we shared a lab, so we sat back to back. And... Ed's known in the industry as having a temper. He gets, he gets so intense on what he's doing, and you can really just push his button, and he goes off on a tangent. So every day, I'd walk into the lab, and I would kind of shove my face in front of his, look in the screen, goes, when's that volcano going to erupt? You know, and he, like, pushed me away. And one day, he was, like, knee-deep in a bug. And I said, so, hey, Ed, when's that volcano going to erupt? He goes, God damn it, you want the volcano to erupt? Write it yourself. So I went back to my office, and I wrote the code for it, and I left it on his chair for the next day. He said, just put the location right here. And he put it in. That's how it got there. It has no gameplay function at all. <laughs> but It's real good at making little kid me think, if I drive straight long enough, maybe I'll you get, can get to the to it. <laughs> and there are wives' tales about people saying, oh, I got hit by one of the rocks, and I drove up and went inside the volcano. And it's, all <laughs> it's amazing. It's like about 12 lines of code. So, wow. <laughs> that's very very cool. That was your, and that was your only contribution to that game. And I'm in the credits of Battlezone because for I did. Well, actually, I did one other thing. The that you're actually on the moon, and that's the Earth in the background. And it, I wrote this piece of code to make it set so that the, the, the everything would get darker and darker and darker. So if you played too long, which a lot of people did because the game they got good at it, you wouldn't see anything but the little flare of the buzz bomb and your shot and the radar. So you had to play it all in black. Oh, cool. Really and and cool. they took it out because they said, well, that's not fair. Right. You had to play like 25 minutes on a single quarter to get that. So, Very yeah. cool. Oh, and if people want to learn more about you or your work, where can they go? Uh, Oruben at gmail.com is the best way to find me. Uh, like you, because you're gone. I miss you on Twitter. I don't do Twitter much okay. anymore. Uh, I am still on Facebook because when I need to rant, it's a good place to dump. <laughs> I do follow both of you. Yours, you have some great, great stuff you post. I love oh, watching you. Thank you. Well, we love having you, Mr. Owen Rubin, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure to meet you. And nice to meet you as well. <laughs> Helen, let's get a score recap as we head into our final round. As we head into the final round, Ann Wheaton has seven points and Will Wheaton has ten points. Oh, it's very uh. close. Uh, Ann, you got your work cut out for you because now it go. is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Anne and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. This will determine the winner. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Anne, the movie The Little Mermaid was made into a Broadway musical. True. Correct. Will, the movie Star Wars was made into a Broadway musical. False. Correct. And the movie Rocky was made into a Broadway musical. False. Incorrect. No, it really was. Will, the musical of Rocky was first produced in Germany. 
True. Correct. Yes, Das Rocky. Uh, <laughs> and the star of the Rocky musical also starred in the Broadway musical of Pretty Woman. True. Correct. That's Whoa. right. His name is Andy Carl, and he is currently on Broadway in Pretty Woman. Will Andy Carl also starred in the Broadway musical of Legally Blonde? True. Correct. And he also starred in the Broadway musical of Saturday Night Fever. False. Incorrect. No, he did. <gasps> Will, this he... guy, stop. Okay. <laughs> Will, he also starred in the Broadway musical of Nine to Five. Oh, I want that to be true. Helen? Correct. That is correct. Oh, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> and he also starred in the Broadway musical of The Wedding Singer. True. Correct. That is right. Will, he also starred in the Broadway musical of Groundhog Day. No, false. Incorrect. No, he Damn did. it. And he also starred in the Broadway musical of Groundhog Day. True. Correct. Will, he also starred in the New York Broadway musical of Groundhog Day. True. And he also starred in the Broadway musical of Groundhog Day. True. Let's give a nice hand to both of our contestants, Will and Anne. We're not counting those last three. I just had to say it when they came up. Boy, Andy Carl, if you're writing a musical based on a movie, he's the guy to call. Yeah, he's clearly, like, he's he's got some some of that uh, Broadway juice, I think is what we call it. We sure don't. Which really means something different now than it did in the 70s. I'll say. Helen is tabulating the final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the final score of today's episode? I am. At the end of the game, Ann Wheaton has 10 points, and Will Wheaton has 14 points. Will Wheaton is your fact and champion. And go back yourself. A very competitive game. And graciously clapping for her husband, Will. Will, what will you do with your championship? Uh, well, I think I'm going to go forward, uh, never looking backward, always leaning into future endeavors. I'm going to make sure <laughs> that we stay strong and focused oh and ensure that uh, together we are able to win tomorrow. Wow. wow. <laughs> America, right? Yeah. America. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap things up, give everyone here a chance to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. And what do you have going on, and where can people find you? Oh, I am Ann Wheaton on Twitter and Instagram. I have a blog, annwheaton.com. And um, I'm still doing my being a director of the Passing Humane Society. I am working on a second book to um, Piggy and Pug. Piggy and Pug will be going camping, which Ooh, is very exciting. Very nice. Yes. We'll look forward to that. Ms. Ann Wheaton, Thank ladies you. and gentlemen. My friend Will Wheaton, what about yourself? My friend Jay Keith, I wrote a novel, and uh, I am really excited to uh, announce that it is being represented by a magnificent literary agent, and uh, I am super excited for it to be released probably sometime next year. It's called All We Ever Wanted Was Everything, and it is a coming-of-age story. Uh, it's semi-autobiographical. It is uh, about loss, and it is set in 1983. Very wow. good. And, and it is very good. It is very good. I read it. And if people want to find out more about you, they can go to? Uh, one of their parents probably knows yes, where to yes. find me. Or your local library. Will Wheaton, ladies and gentlemen. You lucky, lucky people have had Ms. Helen Hong as your co-host. What do you have going on, Helen? I am performing stand-up uh, in the following cities, Boca Raton, Florida, Laughs, Boston, and Hyenas in Dallas, Texas. So look those up, and I can also be found on the socials at Funny Helen Hong. And she is Funny Helen Hong. 
Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. I want to give a special shout out to a podcast that I appeared on called New Player Has Joined. I hope that's what it's called, because that's what I'm going with. Uh, you actually, it, it's actually on topic tonight. It's, it's uh, a couple of guys talking about video games, and I went on and talked about my experience with arcade games and 2600 games, and was remembering things I hadn't even thought about in 30 years. It was a really enjoyable conversation, so uh, look those guys up. It was a lot of fun. Uh, that just leaves me to thank Will Wheaton, Ann Wheaton, Gene Lewin, Owen Rubin, and Helen Hong. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night! Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Tick Zero did. He, she, or they said, I love hearing a podcast get into its groove by episode three. Fantastically fun. Thanks, Tick Zero. Oh, thank Helen? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. It is produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Go Fact Yourself's theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. The show is edited by Julian Burrell. Dave McKeever is our live sound engineer. Special thanks to Scott Heinley at PPI Products, Kurt Carley, Donna Bailey, Leora Saul, Spencer Marks, Stella Chow, Dave Bianchi, Cody Lawrence, Daniela Zeltzer, and Christine Vallada. I'm Helen Hong. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.